The following audio is from Hope Hill Church. To learn more about Hope Hill Church, please visit hopehillchurch.org. We wave high the flag of freedom as a patriotic reminder to never take our independence for granted. Fireworks explode into the night sky, lighting up the darkness, reminding us of our nation's calling in the world. One nation under God. We look into the sky and remember that for all the freedom we have to celebrate, we must never forget our dependence on God. It was by His hand we were afforded our independence. So we might stand for liberty, remembering He set us free from the bondage of sin. So we might stand for justice, for the Lord loves justice, and He will not forsake His saints. So we might stand for freedom, because we know that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We thank you, God, for the beautiful gift of our country. May we always depend on you to sustain us. Hey, good morning, guys. It's so exciting to be with you this morning. I'm Pastor Gary, one of the pastors at Hope Hill Church. Excited that we get to dive right into God's Word together this morning on this great day of uh, freedom and let freedom ring, right? We're 4th of July and celebrating all kinds of wonderful things. Thank you, all you armed forces that have gone before us to give us the freedoms that we have to teach God's Word and talk about these things. So we're going to dive right in. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Joshua chapter 7. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray as we um, look at your Word that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that you would move uh, in this time that you would use me to uh, speak the truth and we know that truth comes from you. And so we pray that you prepare the hearts that are listening and have your way this morning. Thank you again. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So we're going to start with chapter seven and diving right in. It says, but the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. We're going to stop there. How, how is this a good sermon to already be in the yuck? Let's rewind a little bit and go to chapter 6, verse 27. It says, The Lord was with Joshua, and his fame sped throughout the land. Joshua is just coming off a great victory. God has obviously defeated Jericho. They've seen God do these marvelous things. The priest led them in, and they stepped in the river, and the Jordan was parted. God just did all these amazing things. And now we see in chapter 7, it starts with a big but. The but, the Israelites are in this situation. And this situation that they're in goes back to that same verse. What did it say? The Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout the land. A lot of times pride gets in the way. A lot of times selfishness takes over and pride uh, boast us up. And if we look at his word, Proverbs tells us that uh, pride cometh before the fall, right? So when we puff ourselves up and at this passage of scripture, we see that nowhere until a little later did Joshua take time to pray and seek these things out. But coming on that high horse already, yeah, we've been victorious. Let's dive right in. And so as the rest of the Israelites there now we see coming back from this victorious defeat, we now see where we're at. 
Verse two says, now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai. And when they sent them out, they went out to spy the land. And when they returned, Joshua said to them, not all the people will have to go up to Ai. Send two or 3,000 men there. We don't have to send them all. Joshua is, is finding out that through talking with these other brothers and seeing that they don't need to take a big amount of people, but one to two, three thousand, he said in verse three, he says, take two or three thousand men to take it and do not worry about the people for only a few men are there. So about three thousand men went up with them and they were routed by the men of Ai who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down there. So he didn't think he needed a big group. Again, this is a prideful thing. We don't, there are smaller people than Jericho. We don't, we don't need to take an entire army. Let's just take two or 3,000. In the process of not going before the Lord, they were full up of themselves and thinking, hey, God's already been victorious in this situation. We've seen God's goodness. Let's just be excited in that and jump into that. That can be a bad thing at times as we now see that it cost them 36 lives of individuals and not just 36 men, but this also is 36 fathers now are not returning home. 36 Families don't have a dad. 36 mothers are now widows because they eagerly jumped into something with a prideful attitude and with an attitude that wasn't sought in prayer. Fame kind of was filling them up. Pride was boasting them up. And we want to see victory in our lives. It first comes through acknowledging that we can't do it on our own. We need the strength of our Heavenly Father. So as we look at this, we see the cost of sin, that it cost those 36 men, those families were not just affected, but changed forever. Their families are different because dad is not returning. If they were prayed up and they spent the time like we're about to see, we'll see what happens. It goes on in verse five. It says, when they fell, fear just kind of sweeped over them at the this, the hearts of the people melted with fear and became like water. This makes me think if you go back a few chapters and we look at uh, chapter two, verse nine, we see that when Rahab, when they were going to look out Jericho, she says the same thing. And it says that the prostitute named Rahab stay, stayed there and fear fell apart across her because she realized that this was God, the Jehovah, the one that has taken over. And so that same fear has now fell across these people that they haven't put their faith and their trust in the Lord. So now we're at verse six and let's see what verse six is telling us. It says, then Joshua tore his clothes, fell face down to the ground and before the ark of the Lord remaining there until evening. It wasn't until verse six that we see that he went to the Lord in prayer. Now, did his heart really go to that place? 
Was, was his heart really in tune to those things with the Spirit? Was he where he needed to be? Or was he just zealous and excited sitting back that God has been victorious in our lives so we can just proceed to go? Or are we still humbling ourselves before Almighty God? A passage of scripture makes me think about in Isaiah. This is a great passage. It says um, that the, this is in Isaiah 66 too. It says, declares the Lord, these are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. If Joshua had that kind of heart that was humble and broken before the Lord and contrite and realizing that he could not do it on his own, maybe it wouldn't be at the cost of these 36 men, their families. If it was first labored in prayer, if it was first coming to a bent knee, if he was in dependence on the Lord, maybe it wouldn't have been that these men fell. Maybe it would have been if he was dependent on the Lord, the Lord wouldn't have had them fall to their knees in defeat. So it comes to that place that it's very, very important for us to see if we want to see victory be, be victorious in our lives, it comes with us on a bended knee in prayer. We see here as he goes on to say, he says that they fell until evening. They were there with their faces to the ground. Verse it goes on to say, and the elders of Israel did the same thing and they sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, ah, sovereign Lord, why did you bring these people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Lord, pardon. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? He goes on to, that's the second one. The third one, he cries out and he says in verse nine, he says, what then will you do for your own great name? He gives these three questions that he cries out. He sounds a lot like uh, back in, in Numbers 14 when they were grumbling and, and complaining after crossing the Red Sea. Why did you bring us out here to die? And yet they keep wanting and wanting and God's goodness and his gratefulness and his redeeming love continued to show as he poured it out on the Israelites. And Joshua was different because remember, Moses couldn't take them into the promised land, but he passed on the baton to Joshua. And now Joshua is sounding a lot like the grumbling Israelites as he's questioning this and asking this question, why God? Maybe as he's praying, he's getting that uh, kind of heart like David had as he said, examine me, Lord, see if there's any anxious way in me. Maybe that heart there of seeking the Lord is really being drawn and, and pushed and pulled and prodded as he seeks the Lord in this. So in these three ways, these three questions that he asks as he comes with that kind of heart of realizing, whoa, what am I doing? Pride seeps in and now he's realizing, wow, I need to humble myself. I need to have a godly sorrow to repentance. If we look at 2 Corinthians 7.10, it says this, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. 
And maybe Joshua in his heart right now is he's realizing that, wow, I needed to have a heart that was repentant, a heart that was right in, in making these things surrender to God because I need him. Every day we need him. That song that we sing, every hour I need thee. I changed into my Bible in Luke 9.23. It says, take up your cross daily. I, I kind of scribbled it out and said, every second by second, I need to be fixing my eyes on him. Joshua says, he goes on in verse 10, the Lord said to Joshua, stand up, what are you doing down on your face? It's kind of like a, a rebuke, what are you doing? Now you come to me, now you cry out to me and you do it all night? He says, stand up, what are you doing down on your face? In verse 11, he says, Israel has sinned and they violated my covenant which I commanded them to keep. They have kept some of the devoted things. They have stolen and they have lied and they have put them in their own possessions. This makes us the next thing that we need to do if we want to see freedom in our lives in this special holiday, we can see truly that freedom is not free. We, if you go down to the monument, you see that that freedom is not free, it came with a price. The freedoms that we have cost the bloodshed of those that have gone before us to give us these freedoms. This relates to scripture. Freedom, as Christians, we can't be free until we know freedom, and freedom only comes through Jesus Christ. Because he said he has come to set the captives free. He's come that we can be free indeed. The scriptures tell us, as we look at this passage here, it says, life as free people, but do not use freedom as a cover-up for evil, but live as God's slaves in 1 Peter 2.16. We were slaves to Christ, and even Paul said that throughout scripture, that um, he was a bondservant to Christ. Peter himself said that. James said that. Several of these guys throughout scripture said, I am a bondservant of Jesus Christ. We are a slave to him and he has bought us with his precious blood. And as we are free indeed, that comes through the cost of his blood that was shed upon the cross for you and for me. We cannot live in yesterday's victory and expect immunity for today's defeat. If we want to see God be victorious in our life, we need to ask the question, what is God doing in my life lately? What is God doing that his name looks great as that was the last question he said in verse nine. What then will you do to make your name great? What is God doing in our lives to make God's name great? Because God is great and he deserves praise from all of us, not just the pastors, not just our leadership team, but what is God doing in your life? And maybe we're not seeing the hand of God in our lives because we're covered with sin. We have the pride of life that is creeping in in our lives and holding us back as we see that it did with Achan. And as we're gonna continue to get on, he says, stand up in verse 10. He says, in Israel has sinned, they've taken these things. And in verse 13, he challenges them. Go, consecrate yourself. 
That means set yourself apart. God has something bigger and higher for us. And sometimes on the high side, that's when pride seeps in and, and we goes to our head. And that's where it's not good because a haughty spirit will be no good. It will bring us to the fall. And so when we put Christ first, and when we humble ourselves by him, that's when he says, then I will lift you up. And when we come to that place and have a bended knee and we're dependent upon the Lord, then he will be exalted. So he calls and he comes to these people and says, consecrate yourself, set yourselves apart, get ready in preparation for tomorrow. And this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, that which is devoted is among you, O Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. Joshua, you're not going to have victory until we look at ourselves. We're not going to be victorious until we clean out our tent, until we get things ready. And this is exactly where Achan was, is he had his stuff back in the tent. And you can see that in verse 19 that, that, uh, and on that he buried those things that he shouldn't have kept for himself so he could gratify the flesh and the things that we want. And we'll get to that. But he says here in verse 13, you can't be victorious until you remove that thing that is holding you back. The sin that so easily entangles you, the thing that is grabbing you up, you cannot continue to run unless you remove it. So verse 14 says, in the morning they presented themselves tribe by tribe, clan by clan. They went through all this process and they cast lots and they to see who was gonna be first to go through this process of being examined and to see where their hearts were. Again, maybe this would have been prevented if Joshua would have been one to have a bended knee and to come before the Lord and be dependent upon the Lord. And if he would have been dependent upon the Lord, he would have not have fallen to defeat because he would have been dependent upon the Lord. So now when he sees this again, he says, Lord, okay, we'll go through these people and we go through all these different things. And now he comes to verse 19 through all these different folks and each clan down to now Achan in verse 19. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel and give him praise. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Verse 20, Achan replied, it is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. The question is, is he having a sorrow like Joshua, a godly sorrow? Or is he just guilty that he got caught? Is he just guilty that now I'm being held accountable for my actions? And he says, what have you done? He says, then I saw the plunder and the beauty and the sparkliness of it. In verse 21, I saw the beauty, the sparkly, everything that was great and I couldn't help it, but I, I wanted it. So I, I first saw it. This is exactly what Jesus said. When Jesus said, when you look upon a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery. Our sin first starts with that first look. We don't have to give in. No temptation has seized you, the scripture says. We do not have to, but he will provide a way out. 
And so when this temptation came, he seen and saw that beautiful thing over there. He didn't have to give in, but he saw it. He coveted it. He wanted it. And then he took it. And when he took it, he then had to go hide it. And he hid it in his tent. What in your life are you hiding in this season that we're not seeing the fruit of God in our lives because we're in our sin or we're hiding things or we're keeping back in the dark and not having accountability? This is a great season for mold to grow. This is a great season for things to just kind of fester and uh, just turn into something ugly. But this is the time that we need to not be lackadaisical and, and just kind of sitting around doing our own thing, but idle hands are dangerous. And he who conceals his sin will not prosper, the scripture says. So we are being called out. He's calling them saying, and he's going through each person, clan by clan, man to man, and he's calling them out. And now the promise, scary, was going to happen. He knew when he confessed, there was a consequence to his actions. It was death. This goes back to James 1, 13 through 15. We won't read the whole passage, but maybe I should uh, real quick. I guess I will. Um, it says this. I want you to hear it. This is really good. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does anyone tempt me, but each one is tempted when his own disease, evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. What he's talking about there is actually giving birth to a stillborn baby. You go through that whole process of seeing your belly grow and, and you indulge in this sin and you, you hide it, but when that day of rejoicing to give birth, it doesn't produce life. It produces death. And the fact that we give into this sin and we indulge in it, it's not joyous at the end of the day because it produces no life. And now we see Achan, his life is coming to an end and not just his, but now the 36 are in vain. And now his whole family, everything, if you look at 24, everything, the soul, the, if you look at uh, verse 24, it says the silver, the robe, the gold, the sheep, all that he had, his family, his wife, everything is brought down to this place and he's stoned to death, killed because he gave into the pleasures of life. What are we giving into that we don't see freedom because freedom has already been purchased. Just as we see it on the slogans that we have the freedom to preach, we have the freedom to do what we do, we have the freedom as Christians to be free indeed through the truth that has already been set free. Now we look at Christ as we look at him as he is the redeemer and he is the one we look to. It doesn't stop there. It says, and all Israel stoned him and put him to death. And that place is called the Valley of Achor. And just so you know that Achan means trouble. And the valley of that place is trouble. God doesn't leave us in the state of our trouble. He redeems us. And I think this is the most amazing part of this sermon is 
that we're not left to die. We have a, a choice here to, to respond to this message that God is speaking to our heart, that we would say, yes, Lord, are you speaking to me? Today is a day of salvation. And he says, I'm not gonna leave you in that state. But he says, I want you to see this. He says that I have a plan for you, a plan of goodness, a plan to redeem. So as he looks at this, I want to turn to this passage. So check this out. I want you to see this, this great verse. This is kind of where we're putting the stake in the ground. God doesn't leave us in the state that we're in. He talks about this in Joshua but he says that valley, that still, if we read that last verse, the Lord will bring trouble on you today. That's what that means. And the valley, therefore the place has been called the Valley of Acorn ever since. This place of trouble. And now if we look at Isaiah 65, he points to that Valley of Accor. And he says, this will be a place filled with pasture lands and this. Uh, continue to be prosperous and just be full of greatness. Hosea, I want to look at that passage. It says in chapter two, verse 14 through 15, it says this, therefore I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back to the vineyards and will make the Valley of Accor a door of hope there she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came out of Egypt. Just like he spoke tenderly to Achan, he wanted him to do the right thing, to have a godly sorrow, but the guilt just creeped in and he didn't have that. And I love that passage. He says, we don't have to stay in that place because he opens a door of hope. You don't have to stay in your sin. If you have stuff hiding in your tent, you have stuff hiding in your shame is just underneath the rug and you're trying to just keep pushing it down. God says, I've come to give you hope. I've come to give you life. This is the only place in Joshua that he had defeat. Every other place he was victorious because he first put the Lord first. And those moments that we don't seek him first, it does not go well with us. Actually says in Matthew, when we seek him first, everything else will be added unto us. If you want to be free, you can be free indeed through Jesus Christ. Cry out to him today. Thank you for this time and God bless. Pastor Gary just shared with us in a very important and true message that the only way that we can truly experience freedom is finding freedom in Christ. If you have never opened up your heart to understand the fullness of who Jesus is, that Jesus, who was God, did not consider uh, equality with God something to be held on to, but he let go of that and came down to our earth uh, to meet us right where we're at. The Bible tells us that he saw us as sheep without a shepherd, and he came down to be our good shepherd and to lay down his life for us. The Bible says that our sin in our life, our selfishness, our way of trying to live according to our own means, our own goals, our own dreams, our own desires, many times separates us from the love of the God who created us. When we go through life living our own way, um, we find ourselves 
empty because there's only one true thing that will fill us and that is the love that God intends us to have. If you want to understand this freedom and the love that our Heavenly Father has for you, then you can pray with me right now and invite God to come into your life, to change you forever, to forgive you of your brokenness, and to heal you and to make you new. If you want to pray that prayer with me, do so right now. Pray with me. Dear Lord, thank you for dying for me on a cross. Thank you for coming to this earth and taking my sin upon yourself. Thank you for dying for me and then rising again to give me new life. Jesus, I love you. And I want you to come into my life and show me what it means to truly walk with you. Help me by the power of your Holy Spirit. Come into my life and fill me. And help me to experience what salvation truly is as I learn to walk each day with you. Come in and make me new. In your name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me today, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can message me. You can uh, lift your hand up in the comments right now and we'll reach out to you. Uh, we want to celebrate this decision with you. And we want to help you to, to know and to discover what the next steps are as you journey and grow in your relationship with God. We love you. Happy Independence Day weekend. And again, I can't wait to see you tonight. Jump on the Zoom lobby right now, meet me there, and I'll be able to connect with you, answer any questions you might have, or spend time praying with you. I love you all. Have a great rest of your day.